Well, good morning. So great to see you all this morning. I hope you all are doing well. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to continue our study in the book of Matthew. If you're using one of the Bibles there in the seat rack in front of you, it's on page 764, 764. But we're in Matthew chapter 9, uh, where we've been uh, focusing on in this series, the authority of Jesus in many different aspects um, of this life, uh, of, of this universe that he is, has authority over. Um, my name is Andy Middlecoff. If you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you. I'll be out in the courtyard afterwards. And if you are a guest with us, we want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming and joining us. We have a gift for you at one of the kiosks, either, either at the lobby here or out in the courtyard. So come by and pick one of those up. Uh, ask anyone who has a lanyard on a question or anyone else who looks like they have a smiley face as well, right? Uh, please ask any questions you have. Um, we also have uh, these notes. Um, you can take, you can look at, see the upcoming events and so forth. But on the back um, are notes that you can take. And someone told me this weekend that they appreciate the fill in the blanks that I have. So there you go. Try filling in those blanks. You get a, uh, brownie points if you fill them all in. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Also, in your seat racks in front of you, you have these cards here. These are uh, bookmarks that have different scriptures that relate to the sermons that we do each Sunday. I encourage you to uh, pick one of those up and read along with us. There's also a memory verse on there as well to memorize God's word, which is uh, such a blessing and a joy. Well, hey, uh, happy Memorial Day weekend to you guys. Yeah? Um, can we be thankful about something more than the fact that it's a three-day weekend? <laughs> yes, right? Uh, we can be thankful to those men and women who have given their lives for our country, right? And um, it's easy to forget about those folks, to take them for granted. Uh, you know, I was thinking this morning about what a sacrifice that is to sign up for something knowing that you could get killed for it, Right? So I really respect uh, those of you who have been in the military or are currently in the military. And so let's thank the Lord this morning for those who have been in the military, who have passed away because of the military, but also let, let's thank those who are currently in the military and ask God's protection upon them. How about that? Should we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are good and that you protect us. And one way you do it is through our military. And uh, we thank you for those men and women who have gone before us and given the greatest sacrifice, sacrificing their lives for us, which really kind of reminds us of Christ ultimately sacrificing himself for all of us. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for those men and women. We pray for family members who are still uh, grieving over the, the loss of their loved ones. Lord, strengthen them, encourage them. And uh, Father, we thank you for those who were willing to go to battle and survive. They were willing to put their lives on the line. We thank you for uh, men and women who have not seen combat but are in the military and who are equipped and ready uh, to serve our country. Do bless them, strengthen them, protect them, give them the wisdom they need for their uh, daily, uh, everything they do each day. Lord, we pray. And I pray now as we open up your precious word, your true word, uh, God, that you would open our eyes to wonderful things in your word. Lord, nourish us and feed us with your word. Lord, let us learn what you want us to learn today and may you be honored and glorified as we gather together. In Jesus' precious and holy name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Now, I know as a fact that, that many of you here have gone through a number of overwhelming situations, even devastating situations, or you're, you're going through them currently. 
to where you're at the end of your rope or have been at the end of your rope. And you get there and you go, what do I do? What's going to help me through this? How can I survive when you feel like you get the emotional wind kicked out of you? Maybe it's when someone you love passes away. No matter how hard you tried to save their life, you could do nothing. Maybe it's a marriage that you tried to save and, and you just couldn't do it. Yours or someone you love. Or you're in a marriage that's like a war zone. Or you've lost something. You've, you've lost a job that you really tried hard to keep and you're at the end of your rope and you, you can't keep that job. You've lost it. You may have lost your, your home. Uh, you may have lost a friend. Uh, you, you may have found out you have cancer or you have some sort of chronic illness and you wonder every day, how am I going to get through another day of pain and misery? And through those times, how can we persevere? How can we overcome through those times? Some of you this morning, you haven't been through something like that. And let me tell you, you, you will someday. And I'm, I'm not trying to scare you. It's just that's the reality living in this world. You will. How will you overcome? Uh, this morning, we're going to look at three key perspectives, three key mindsets to have uh, to overcome these devastating, sometimes devastating, sometimes overwhelming circumstances that we go through. And, and this, as we read about Jairus and his daughter and about this woman who was bleeding for 12 years, sometimes we read it and we just sort of breeze over. We go, well, I already know that, you know, historical events. I, I've read that before and we just kind of move on quickly. But when we slow down and see really what was going on here, both of them were in very devastating, overwhelming circumstances. So let's think about that for a minute. Think about Jairus coming to Jesus. Look with me at verse 18, chapter 9, verse 18, where it says, while he, that's Jesus, was saying these things, likely still in Matthew's home, the tax collector, he said to them, uh, and then behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, something that helps us see more clearly the desperation here for Jairus was the fact that this was her only daughter, his only daughter. Look at the screen, Luke 8, 42. It says, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. It wasn't like he had a number of daughters. This was his only daughter. He was desperate for her life to be saved. Um, not only that, but who was Jairus? This helps us to realize the situation. Look on the screen, uh, Luke 8.42 or 8.41 says this, and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his home. Now, so he's a religious leader, right? What have we learned about the religious leaders and their attitude towards Jesus so far in the gospel of Matthew? Yeah, unbelief. They've said, hey, Jesus, you're a blasphemer. Jesus, you're a lame religious leader because you eat instead of fasting. And Jesus, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners, so therefore you are either a tax collector or a sinner, right? So they condemned him. But here we see a religious leader doing just the opposite, coming and bowing before Jesus, begging him, right? And, and we need to understand that in this context, it, it, it may have been that those other religious leaders were still there. And he was willing to come before him and bow before him, asking for his daughter's life. He must have been so incredibly desperate to do that. Uh, not only so, but the, the woman, if we read about this woman and just kind of breeze over, oh yeah, she had bled for 12 years and 
right, right, right. I know this story. Well, pause for a minute and think about the desperation she must have been in, right? Let's think about that. Uh, take a look up on the screen at Mark 5, 25 through 26 that gives us a little more information about this. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather was getting worse. First of all, it says that she had seen many physicians. Can anyone relate to that? You go to doctor after doctor. What's the problem? Nothing seems to be helping. No doctor seems to know what the problem is. I have a lot of medical people in my family, and they'll admit Half the time, we have no idea what the problem is, and we have no idea what the solution is. That brings comfort to you, right? (laughs) But it's humbling for them. We can't ultimately trust in doctors and nurses and all, although we appreciate what they do. She, She had then spent all of her money. Anyone relate to that? Medical bills can be overwhelming, right? And and back then, they didn't have medical insurance. And not to say that medical insurance is always all that helpful anymore anyway. But not only so, no matter how hard she tried, everything she did, she got worse rather than better, verse 26 says. Not only this, but something that you don't see, if you read between the lines, many scholars believe that she had a type of bleeding that made her, quote, unclean according to the Old Testament law. The Old Testament was the first section of the Bible written before Jesus came. And in the Old Testament line, Leviticus 15, if you want to write that down to look it up, Leviticus 15, 25 through 27, it specifically says, if a woman has this type of discharge of blood, she is unclean. She can't go to the temple to worship. She can't touch anybody else. She can't be around other people. Uh, And because of all this, she likely couldn't have a job. Likely she didn't have any friends. And likely her family abandoned her as well. This was a destitute woman, desperate, absolutely at the end of her rope, could do nothing. She tried everything and nothing was helping. So some of us have been in situations like that at the absolute end of our ropes with nowhere to turn. Some of us have friends who've been in those situations. What we do, we can't do anything to help them. I've been in that situation, seeing someone I love and there's nothing that I can do to help them. It is overwhelming to say the least. So what do we do? Like I said this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna look at uh, three mindsets to have, three perspectives to have when going through such trials and tragedies in our lives. And first of all, remember this, never forget this. It may sound trite, but it's so true. And we've gotta remember it. Remember this that Christ cares for you personally. When you're going through that trial, you're tempted to think, where's God? Why didn't he stop this from happening? Does he care for me? Have I sinned too much? What's going on? The fact is, is that even in those trials, we have to remind ourselves, yes, he does love us. Yes, he does care for us. More than we could ever ask or imagine, truly. And one way we see this in in, in the scripture is by looking at how he treated Jairus, Jairus' daughter, and this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And now you say, well, yeah, sure. That's how he loved them. The Bible's true. It's a historical document. Yes, but it's more than a historical document because God had these events recorded 
to help us to see how he loves us today, how he cares for us today. Not just for how he cared for people back then. Do I love this scripture? In fact, I want us to read it together. It's up on the screen, Romans 15, 4, uh, because it's, it's beautiful. It, it just shows us what the word of God, the Bible is ultimately uh, pointing us to. So let's read this together. Ready? Four, ready? Four, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? We might have hope, right? Through the encouragement of the scriptures. These were written for us, for believers to look back on how God historically over and over again has loved people to remind us when we go through hell on earth that he still loves us. And so I want to just point out a few things that you've probably noticed as you were studying that this week, how God expressed his love uh, to, to this woman, to this man, to this girl. Just for example here, first of all, notice that Jesus listened to Jairus. If someone loves you, they will listen to you. If you love somebody, you will listen to them, right? Uh, Christ, I love it. When he comes and he uh, bows before Jesus and begs him, look at verse 19, Jesus' response. It says, and Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. He could have said, come on, I'm busy. Oh, give me a break. It's just a little girl. That's not a big deal. You know, get over it or, you know, don't stop interrupting me. No, Jesus listened to him. And we know that he listened because he got up and followed him. He said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. Christ listens to us when we're in our trials. And he walks with us through those trials. Not only did uh, Jesus listen to Jairus, uh, next, when this woman who is bleeding comes along, um, we see that he welcomes interruptions. I don't know about you, but I, I'm not a fan of interruptions. Like, I try to be okay with it. Sometimes I pray about it. God, help me. Uh, but when I get interrupted today, I handle it well, right? And I love that person who comes into that door. Um, because I have, basically, I think I have ADHD. I'll be honest with you. And, and, and if I, in those few precious moments where I can focus, and then my phone dings, or the phone rings, or the, you know, someone comes in and boom, then my mind goes this way, that way, it takes a half an hour to get it back, right? Jesus wasn't like that. He welcomed interruptions, right? So when this, this woman, he, he's, he's on an urgent, um, you know, a, a, a mission to go and rescue this girl. Um, but on this urgent mission, verse 20, look, it says, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Uh, for she had said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. He could have said to her, hey, I'm busy. Come on, I'm trying to focus here. You know, get, come, come around later, you know, leave me alone. He could have said all kinds of things. But Jesus paused, looked her in the eye and said, your faith has made you well, right? That's the kind of Christ we worship. He is available to us all the time. In fact, scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he is attentive to our prayers. It's amazing. Another way we see Jesus' love here for the people back then and for us today is that he let this bleeding woman touch uh, the fringe of his garment. You may think, well, how is that loving, right? Um, a couple of the other scriptures that talk about this event, uh, it mentions that Jesus, when she touches him, he says, who touched me? Let me ask, do you think Jesus knew who touched him or not? Yes, he knew from all of eternity past. He knows all things, right? He knows the future, he knows the past, he knows the present. 
perfectly and completely. He knew who touched his garment. He asked that question to create a teachable moment, right? And so he knew that she was going to touch him. Here's the thing. According to that law in the Old Testament that I mentioned from Leviticus 15.25, whatever someone with that bleeding condition touched would become spiritually unclean, right? So here's the beauty about it. He let her touch his garment, and instead of him becoming unclean, she became clean, right? I love that. So he allows this. He shows his love. And then I I love what he says to her, right? You'll see that in verse 22. Again, Jesus, it says, turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. I love this. Reminds us of what Jesus said earlier in Matthew 9 to the paralytic who was brought to him. He said, take heart, my son, right? Take heart means be encouraged, have courage. You're in a hard situation. You're you're in a devastating situation, but here, let me give you some courage. Let me give you some hope. And then he said to the paralytic, my son, he says to this woman, daughter. There's not a term, I think, in the human language, certainly not in, in English, the English language, that expresses more love, more commitment, more affection than the terms son or daughter. Some of you may say, well, grandson and granddaughter. Okay, okay. Someday, Lord willing, I'll get that myself. I'll understand. But for now, son and daughter, right? That's what I know. It's a beautiful term. It's such a term of commitment, of affection, of I will do anything that will be best for you. That's what Christ says to her. Now now think, think about how beautiful that is. Here's a woman who had been ostracized from society, right? She was unclean. She could not go to the temple to worship. She couldn't really be around other people. She probably was jobless, destitute, this woman was. What did Jesus say to her? He looked at her and said, daughter, take courage, daughter. That's beautiful, isn't it? You see, this isn't just recorded for us to go, oh, how nice it was, how Jesus thought of people back then. No, it's to show us what he thinks of those of his followers today and for the rest of this life until Jesus comes back. He says, take heart, son, take heart, daughter, whatever you're going through. That's the kind of love that Jesus had and that Jesus has. One other way, uh, we, could, we could spend a lot of time here um, talking about the love of Christ. One, one more, one more that I'd like to point out where we see his love here. I love that he takes the girl's hand. When he goes into Jairus' daughter, you know, think about it for a minute. Uh, Did Jesus even have to go with Jairus? Or could he have, from a distance, said, your daughter's healed? Could he have done that? Of course. That's what he did in chapter 8 with uh, the centurion's servant. He just said, be healed. And at that very hour, he was healed, it says, right? He didn't even have to go with him. Um, could, Could he have gone with Jairus? and healed her without touching her. Could he have done that? Yeah, of course. We saw that earlier in chapter 9 with the paralytic. Jesus said, stand up and walk, and he stood up and walked. But here we see Jesus in his tenderness, in his mercy, in his gentleness, reaching out and holding this little girl by the hand. And I love that picture. It says the girl in another scripture says she was 12. I have a girl that's close to that, almost 12. Um, and just that affection, that love, Right? That's God's attitude towards you and me. If you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God. Isn't that wonderful? 
And I love how the Psalms um, celebrates that fact. One place is Psalm 73, a, a beautiful Psalm where the author of this Psalm is frustrated at what he's seeing, this corruption in the world and overwhelmed by that. But then he says this, you'll see it up on the screen in Psalm 73, 23. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. That's with you, God. You, Lord, hold my right hand. Is there something you're going through right now in your life? Something someone close to you is going through right now that, that, that just you feel like, man, I wish I could do something, but I can't. You're at the end of your rope. Know that Christ is holding your hand and will walk with you through it. He loves you the same that he loves these people right here that we're reading about in scripture. Let him hold your hand. Let him walk with you through it and never forget his care for you. It may not feel like he cares for you in the moment, but we have to trust the facts that he does. A second mindset after uh, realizing that he loves us and remembering that he loves us, choosing not to forget that he loves us, another mindset to have is about his authority over these circumstances. The next fill in the blank is this. Recognize Christ's authority over death and every overwhelming situation. He has authority over these things. And we see this authority with uh, the woman in that he healed her. He not only loved her, he not only called her daughter, but then he immediately healed her. I, I love the contrast there, right? For 12 years, she'd done everything in her power, spent all her money, went to all the physicians she could, and got worse. But now, in an instant, in a moment, Christ healed her. The authority of Christ over our physical bodies, over our spirits, over everything. But, but then in Matthew 9 here, um, Matthew introduces something about Christ that we have not seen yet in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus has authority over something that, that's absolutely amazing. He has authority over life and over death. He raised this little girl to life. We haven't seen one thing like that so far in the Gospel of Matthew. He's healed this person. He's calmed that sea. He's done all these things. But this is the first time we see him raising someone from the dead. And we go, wow, he has that kind of power and authority? You see, Jesus is trying to show us in the Gospel of Matthew that he has authority over all things, including life and death. This is to show us the fact that he rose Jairus' daughter from the dead to show us certainly his love, but also his power and authority. And to show us that he is the Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the beautiful things that helps me believe the Bible is true, when I start to have doubts, we all struggle with doubts sometimes, but when I start to think, okay, is it really true? I go back, oh my goodness, there are so many prophecies in the Old Testament that were written hundreds, even thousands of years before Christ came pointing to and saying what would happen. And one thing that the Old Testament says about Jesus is that when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. They mean the anointed king over Israel and over all the world. When he comes, he's going to raise dead people to life. One place we see that is in Ezekiel 37. If you want to look at that on the screen, in Ezekiel 37, 12, it speaks of in the future, God saying, here's a prophecy, resurrection is going to happen. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves 
and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And it's not just that he spoke of resurrection. He said this in the context of when the Messiah would come. This is what was going to happen. And we see that a few verses later in Ezekiel 37, 24, up on the screen. He says, my servant David, which is a title for Jesus because he's the son of who? David. He's the son of David, which actually says in the very next uh, section of Matthew 19, he's called the son of David. My servant David, speaking of the Messiah, shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd, the good shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. So when Jesus does the impossible and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, this was to be a big signpost saying, I've come. I'm here. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? Absolutely amazing. Now, um, not only that, but the fact that he rose her from the dead was to be a foretaste of his own resurrection. He's showing, look, I have the power to raise someone from the dead, and I, in fact, will have the power to raise myself from the dead. His body died, his spirit lived on. In his spirit, he had the power to raise his body, his dead body back to life. And we see this up on the screen here. I love this scripture, John 10, 18. Jesus says this, no one takes it, that's his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one was twisting his arm. The father wasn't saying, Jesus, you better go and die on that cross. He could have told the Romans at any time, back off, and they would have fallen dead, right? He came to die for us. He said, and look what he says, what word he says about this. I have what? Okay, let's try that again. I know Eric has trained you so well. Ready? I have what? Authority to lay it down. And I have what? Authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Now, a question uh, raises up uh, here when we're reading chapter nine about Jairus's daughter. And the question is, did she really die in the first place? Right? And, and of course, the confusion comes. Look at verses 23 and 24. It says, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowds making a commotion, these were hired people that was very common to do back then, flute players and mourners to come and pretend they're sad. Um, verse 24, um, and, and he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Why would he say that the girl is not dead, but sleeping? Well, uh, here's something, when you read the Gospels, you come across these confusing scriptures where Jesus heals somebody and tells them, don't tell anyone. And then they, they go, yeah, right. I'm gonna tell everybody. And that's what they do, right? Uh, but he says, don't tell them because here's the thing. Jesus says, I'm coming here to preach the gospel. And whenever he would heal somebody, then literally tens of thousands, um, many, many people would come to him to be healed. And then he wouldn't have the opportunity to preach, which is what he wanted to do, so the people would be saved, right? Yes, he was interested in physical healing, but ultimately in spiritual healing. So this was another one of those situations where he's saying, you know, let's keep this silent. I want you guys to see that I'm the Messiah, but just wait, just wait. And it wasn't his time to die on a cross yet. So God wanted him to wait, and he was ready to wait. Did, did the girl actually die? Yes. Luke 8, 54 makes it clear. You'll see that on the screen. Uh, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. 
and her spirit returned and she got up at once. Immediately, when your tent dies, this temporary tent that you live in, when it dies, immediately your spirit goes to be with Christ. That had happened to this girl already here, the spirit returns, indicating that she was truly dead. And in fact, the fact that he says she's not dead but asleep, interestingly, the word sleep is often used as a figure of speech for death in the New Testament. So um, he's saying she's not dead, she's dead, really, ultimately. But so then, what, what does this have to do? You know, we read this and we've seen plenty of people in our lives die. Is this saying, well, God's promising to raise every Christian back to life now? No. If that were the case, we'd have 2,000-year-old Christians walking around, right? If Jesus healed every sickness of every Christian, then we would never die. So what is this promising here? Jesus, in his first coming, gives us a foretaste of what's going to happen in his second coming. I love this scripture. Take a look up on the screen. This is one that I share at many funerals. And and I've done so many funerals, and I've been to so many funerals. And I've seen hopeless people in great despair, seeing their loved one pass away, and they can do nothing, nothing to bring them back. I've seen people in great despair, and I've seen people who deeply loved the person who died. I've seen them with hope. What's the difference? It's Christ. He's the difference. Look at this scripture up on the screen, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. The apostle Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. There again, sleep referring to uh, death. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, of course, we grieve. It's, 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 It's a good thing to grieve, but we don't grieve hopelessly. We grieve with hope knowing that one day we will, if it's a believer in Christ, we will see them again. The fact that Jesus died for sins and rose from the dead, his resurrection, one reason he rose was to prove to us that we also will be raised to life when he comes back. We will see every single person in our lives who've died in the Lord. We will see them again for all of eternity. They have simply moved to a new location, right, for now. Think of it that way. And and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in that next verse there, in verse 14. He says, well, why can we grieve with hope? Here's why. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, through Christ, God will raise from the dead and bring with him uh, back into heaven when he comes back to be with him forever. We will be reunited with the people we love. The hardest thing from what I know, uh, from what I've talked to people about, not from what I've experienced, is losing a child. However old they are, even if they were never born, that it's the most painful and grievous event. And I praise God that that has not happened in my life yet. And my heart goes out to everyone who has had that. Listen, you will see your child again. You will see your child again. Why? Because Christ has died for them, because Christ has risen for them. What hope we have in Christ. In this scripture, we we look at what what can help us to overcome these great trials, these tragedies 
these devastating realities in our lives, what will help us? Uh, a mindset number three is this. Choose to put all your faith in Christ. Choose to put all your faith in Christ. A repeated theme in Matthew chapter 9 and really throughout the gospel of Matthew is the word faith, right? We see that when she touched Jesus' garment and he said, your faith has healed you. And one of the other gospels, I can't remember if it's Mark or Luke when it's talking about this event, um, he says to Jairus, he says, do not fear, only believe. Faith, belief, trust, those are all synonyms, right? A major theme here is to trust in the Lord, to believe in the Lord, which is so hard to do when we're going through one of these experiences, right? When we're, we're seeing someone we love sick and there's nothing we can do for them except for pray for them. We feel so hopeless and helpless. We start to doubt, God, do you really care for us? Do you care for me? Do you care for this loved one that's suffering? We begin to doubt God. Is he really there for us? Is the Bible really true? And this is where we need to, like this woman here, I believe, preach to ourselves the truth. Like it says there about the woman who was bleeding, in verse 21, it says, For she said to herself, if, only, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. You see, it says that she came up behind him. Why would she come behind him? Because she thought, well, if I go in front of him, I'll be rejected by him just like I've been rejected by everybody else. So she comes up secretly behind him, touches his garment, and is healed. But notice what, what she did to get herself to do it was she preached to herself. If I touch him, I will be made well. She's preaching to herself the truth. In Christ, there's healing. We need to say to ourselves, Andy, God still loves you. God still loves that person. Trust in him. We need to preach the truth to ourselves. If you have verses memorized, repeat those verses. Thank him for the salvation of your souls and the fact that he is with you and does care about the situation. We need to preach to ourselves the truth of God's word in these times and choose to trust God. It's a choice. We can harden our hearts and choose not to trust God. It's easy to do. But by God's grace, we need to humbly choose what's best and to choose to trust in him. And I, and I love how Jairus prays, right? When we read the gospels, um, you know, Jesus, God is in the flesh on the earth. We don't often think of it as praying when someone comes up and requests things of him, but that's exactly what, what's happening. Jairus comes in and is praying to Christ when he's in desperation. And I can't think of a greater um, way of expressing faith than choosing to pray to the Lord with trust in the time of your greatest trial. But so often what we do is we try to figure it out on our own. And finally, when we get to the end of our rope, we finally pray. I think Christ would want us to come to him right from the bat, right from the start, right off the bat. But Jairus, what a, what a great example of faith he is here. How he says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. What faith that is, right? Wow, he really believed that he, he could do this. Now, does this mean that if we're true believers, if we truly have the Holy Spirit, then every time we pray for healing for ourselves or somebody else, that, that, that it will happen? Is, is that what that means? No, it doesn't. Now, there, there are some who will proclaim that that's the truth. 
And that if, if you pray for somebody and they're not healed, it's because you're a sinner or because you, you don't have enough faith. I'll tell you what, there've been times where I've had faith to where I feel like I'm gonna explode with faith. And I prayed for somebody, crying for them. Nothing helped. Does that mean that God didn't love me or love the person? No, God shows us in many ways his love for us. But here's the thing. Sometimes God allows us to go through hardships because he knows that's the only way that will come to him. And I think that's with Jarius, I think that's true. He was a religious leader. Everyone looked up to him. And like the other religious leaders, he may have one point or another been critical of Jesus. But here he comes to Jesus. Why? The reason is because he was going through a devastating situation that humbled him to the point that he was willing to come to Christ. So then this morning, as we close, let's remember these three mindsets to keep. We need to remind ourselves that God loves us even though we're going through a difficult situation. We need to remember his authority even over the situation that if I'm going through this, he has let it happen and he has a purpose. And if someone I love dies or if I die, he has a purpose. He has authority. He will raise us from the dead in the last day. And then finally, choosing to believe, even when it seems unbelievable, even when he doesn't seem trustworthy, preaching to ourselves, remembering and trusting him. And then if you're here this morning and you haven't come to the place yet where you've said, yes, I really need Jesus. I want his forgiveness now. I want his eternal life now. I want to start a relationship with him now. I want his strength to, to, to live through these trials and through my life. I'm ready now to, to trust in him for eternal life and no longer trust in myself and my own good works. Maybe there's someone here this morning. Here's the good news. He's done all the hard work. All you have to do is say, I trust you for it. I believe you for it. And I repent. I turn from my sins and I want to start following you now, right? It's as simple as that. And if you're ready to do that, hey, we'd love to talk to you. Look for someone with a lanyard. Talk to me. Talk to someone else. Um, come up front afterwards or find us in the courtyard. Uh, talk to us. We'd love to uh, help you um, pray and trust and receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you that you showed us your love by sending your son Christ. And by the way, he loved people, healed people, and even raised people from the dead. Thank you that you show your love for us today by Christ crucified, by our church family loving us, by the word of God reminding us, by the Holy Spirit living within us and assuring us, by providing for our needs. You show us your love. You don't always answer our prayers and sometimes that grieves us. But God, we, we choose to trust you today that you have a plan. And I pray that if there's anyone here who's not a believer in Christ yet, that today would be the day they make that choice to begin to follow and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord.